One of these things is not like the other. Oh, man. That's probably the best announcements I've ever seen. Let's have Matt do them from now on. Anyway, good morning, Friendship Fam. How are we doing? Uh, My name is Joel. I'm the worship pastor here at Friendship Church, and I have the great honor of speaking today. And uh, let's just get the elephant out of the room. You don't always get to see me here on Sundays, and it's because we have two campuses. And uh, really the way worship ministry has worked in the past year is I just kind of jumped to fill where I'm needed most. And uh, sometimes that's leading in Shakopee, sometimes that's leading here, sometimes that's leading my mini worship team called Zoe and Ava Farber with Mommy and joining you uh, in the congregation as we worship. So uh, it's an honor to be here this morning and to have a great worship team so that I don't have to try to do that in both. That almost happened, but uh, the Lord worked it out. So we had great leaders and band members to jump in and, and play. So anyway, Pastor Matt, Pastor Kenny asked me to teach today, and I'm thrilled with the opportunity because usually the opportunities that I have to speak revolve around our uh, podcasts, if you listen to them, or if you read our blogs and the hymn videos like you saw today. Uh, but those are usually about five minutes or so, and this is much grander, so uh, I hope... Once we get past five minutes here, you're, you're all still awake. Uh, anyway, this will be fun. Today we're going to be looking at wisdom and marriage. And when Pastor Matt, Pastor Kenny first asked me to speak today on this topic in the Tools for Wisdom series based on Proverbs, I was a little hesitant because I thought the book Song of Solomon had a little bit more to work with when it comes to trying to hit on your wife or your future wife if you're still hunting. Uh, seriously, Song of Solomon has a lot to work with, like... Let's try this. Hey, lady, your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Hola, chica. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon looking towards Damascus. Okay, so maybe those are a little too old-fashioned for some of you. So let's look at a couple non-scriptural but still Christian-based that you can try on your wife or someday wife. Uh, Howdy, girl. I'm not always prophetic, but I can see us together. (laughs) Hey, if we were around with Noah and the ark, we would be a pair. (laughs) This one requires a little acting. (sighs) I believe one of my ribs belongs to you. (laughs) Man. Uh, Or my favorite. Hey, lady, is it a sin that you stole my heart? All right, so I don't think any of these pickup lines will actually work, uh, but if you try them out and they do, let me know. Uh, Anyway, but I think if we lean into God's word this morning, we're going to find that there's wisdom to glean as we're either preparing for marriage one day or if we're already married. The goal here is to not check out because you're already married and you think you've got it all figured out, and the goal is to not check out because you're single and looking and you think you're ready to be the perfect spouse because to tell you the truth, I've been both of those people. And I was not ready to be a perfect spouse, and I definitely wasn't, uh, I'm definitely not a perfect spouse, and my wife can attest to that. Uh, Regardless, if we're married, single, and looking, or happily single, the principles we'll look at today apply to anyone. So today we're going to look at a few different areas where the Bible has a lot of wisdom to offer concerning marriage. Area number one, you're single and ready to mingle or preparing to mingle one day. Area number two, you are married but you need these reminders. 
And lastly, area number three, you, you need Jesus. Or if you know Letitia Harnung at our Shakopee campus, y'all need Jesus, as she would say. All right, so area number one, you're single and ready to mingle or preparing to mingle one day. So halfway through my first year of college, my high school girlfriend of two years tore my heart to shreds. She broke up with me. And uh, it was interesting because around that time, I fully surrendered my life to Jesus. And through the next couple of years, I actually was trying to become a better disciple of Jesus and looking forward to my someday wife, hoping to become the perfect spouse that I could be for her. Well, by the time my wife Hannah and I were actually married, I thought I was the perfect husband. I thought, man, was I wrong. The first year of marriage is tough regardless, but it's significantly more difficult when the husband in that marriage thinks they're the perfect husband already. Can you see the problems that might stew in that year? Well, after a few years of, or after a few semesters of marriage had gone by, I can humbly say that I've graduated the Hanna-Farber University with a degree in letting go of my pride and serving my wife humbly. I even have this diploma. <laughs> letting my wife go, serving my wife humbly. I did spend time making that. <laughs> Man. And uh, men in the, in the room, my wife will have sign-ups for fall semester after service today. Wives, if your men don't want to do it, you can sign them up. Discounts if you can't afford it. Okay, so you're single and ready to mingle, or preparing to mingle one day. Well, you're in luck because Proverbs teaches us how to choose a spouse. However, as we're looking at these passages, let's also look at it from the vantage point of trying to be that spouse that somebody else will want to choose. Don't choose a spouse based on good looks. Our eyes while preparing to be a spouse are not in the mirror, at least not in the way that's focused on our outward appearance, right? Proverbs 11.22 says, Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. A picture of this golden ring, all nice and shiny, beautiful, nice circle, might even have some diamonds in it. You like it, right? Well, now picture that same ring hooked into a pig snout, all dirty, disgusting, mucus, uh, and other things that might be found in a pig's pen surrounding that ring. Which, one, which ring do you want? A clean one, right? Well, the attractiveness of that golden ring is found insignificant by its presence in a pig snout, right? And in the same way, the, attractive, the attractiveness of a beautiful woman or a handsome man is insignificant if their character lacks discretion. So don't choose a spouse based on good looks. Don't choose a spouse based on money. According to a study in 2017 by Dave Ramsey Solutions, uh, they were doing the study in an effort to gain an understanding of personal finance behaviors and attitudes, as well as how married couples communicate and relate about money. Want to know what's interesting? Money is the number one issue that married couples fight about. Go figure. And fights about money are the second leading cause of divorce behind infidelity. So let's look at what Proverbs has to say about this. In chapter 15, verses 16 through 17, it says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. 
This passage is telling us that money is so low on the values ladder when it comes to choosing a spouse and trying to build a home. This doesn't mean that you need to go and become the poorest person you can be so that you can get married, and it doesn't mean that you need to go out and find the poorest person that you can and marry them. It's not the principle. What we're learning here is that we need to lean into God as our provider. Whether or not the person has a lot of money, can provide a lot of stuff, or a comfortable life is a bad way to choose a spouse. And in the same way, if we're looking back at our own self, we shouldn't strive after money thinking it's what makes us a good spouse because a good spouse pursues God above all things. Choose a spouse based on the pursuit of God. Our eyes should be fixed on Jesus and our relationship with him. And in the same way, the spouse we choose should be doing the same, pursuing Jesus. Now, women, look for this in a husband. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, uh, six and 7 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. I like how the message version puts verse 6 here. It says, Lots of people claim to be loyal and loving, but where on earth can you find one? Come on, isn't this like the age-old question we see played out in too many television dramas or TV shows or movies? That There's a bunch of girls sitting around a table or doing something, uh, what girls do, and they're like, where on earth can I find a good man these days? Can't find him in the bar, can't find him in the church. Well, this is not the place to learn where to find a good man, but if we look at verse 7, it does tell us what to keep an eye out for. A righteous man who walks in his integrity. Because a man's character are good intentions of what they really are. It's easy for anyone to offer lip service, to claim to be loyal and loving. But their character, behavior, or actions will reveal their heart. And a heart that's hopefully set on God. Men, look for this in a wife. What? Hey, who put that there? Matt? Playing with my slides? Okay, it was me. Trying to get some marriage points. That's my wife, Hannah. And she's unavailable. Uh, I love my wife because she's so compassionate, others-focused. She's a great mommy. She's a 10 out of 10. Such a hard worker. And I even caught her uh, working hard with, with Grandpa the other day, moving some hay bales. Just so tough. She's my Proverbs 31 girl. Speaking of Proverbs 31, men, look for this in a wife. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Proverbs 31 is one of those well-known passages of Scripture that clearly identifies a long list of qualities of what to look for in a godly woman. And it all comes back to the most important... Uh, it, it ends with the most important verse talking about a woman fears the Lord. Because a godly woman may have charm, she may have beauty, but these are secondary features to her godliness. And the question that anyone should be, should be asking when looking for a spouse is this. Are they totally committed to Jesus? We live in a day where many people go to church and where many people claim to be a Christian. But unfortunately, many of those many people do not truly know the love, the grace, or the mercy of Jesus Christ? Are you being diligent 
and looking for a spouse that is totally committed to Jesus. Area number two, you're married, but you need these reminders. Reminder number one, be faithful. Proverbs 5.15 says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Like we just read in Proverbs 20, verse 6, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. In 27, verse 8, like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. This is perhaps one of the most important reasons we should be choosing a spouse carefully. Now, this is my opinion, but I believe that if we choose a spouse who is faithful to God, they are far more likely to be faithful to us. And these passages that we just saw show the importance of a husband or a wife who is dedicated to their spouse, to their home, to their family. Because on the flip side, devastation comes from being unfaithful. We don't have to look very far to see the consequences of unfaithfulness, whether it's in our own lives, our family, our friends, and it's certainly super obvious in the world around us. We see people's lives ripped apart by affairs. In an effort to protect the innocence of children, kids often grow up with divorced parents due to unfaithfulness. Yet the kids were only left to deduce that it was due to bitterness or some other reason where they were told that mom and dad just don't love each other anymore, but they never knew growing up that it's because mom or dad were unfaithful. Maybe the affair, maybe the affair is purely emotional and it's not physical, and that's just... That's still just as damaging to a marriage, and it rips husbands and wives apart. We've seen husbands and wives checking out on each other and becoming totally dedicated to their work, to their friends, to entertainment. The consequences of unfaithfulness are so, so great, and they can last for generations. But the benefits and the joys of faithfulness will always surpass being unfaithful. Choose faithfulness to God, your spouse and your family. Reminder number two, be selfless. Now, in an effort to find a story that fits this selfless part of this message, I asked my wife, hey, hon, can you help me think of a time where I was selfish in our marriage? And she thought for a while, not too long, but when she came back to me, you know what she said? I can't think of a time. Yes! Come on! Okay, you don't have to know me that well to know that it's not true, obviously, and given hours, not minutes, I can guarantee she would have come back with something And because uh, wives remember everything. Moral of the story is don't be selfish. Uh, Proverbs 21.9 says, It is better to live in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. 2119, it is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. And 26, verse 21, as charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. We're not meant to be quarrelsome people. Quarrels are like fights or arguments or disagreements, but quarrels get this silly-sounding word that is just a synonym to those words we just talked about, and it often refers to disagreements between people who know each other well. It's easy to see why, then, we find in marriages, it's, quarrel is a good word to describe 
what happens because these people know each other so, so, so well. But that doesn't mean our marriages should be a place for quarreling. The quarrelsome person, they want their way. They'll cause fights with their spouse to get it. Sometimes it looks like a mildly heated discussion. Sometimes it's yelling. And sometimes it's this way that we know in Minnesota, passive-aggressive manipulation that they use to impact their spouse. But at the end of the day, it's caused by someone seeking their way in the marriage. James says quarrels are all about selfishness. In James 4, verse 1 and 2, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Here James is saying that the root of the quarrel, the root of the quarrelsome person is a desire for what they want. They want what they want, and they will do whatever it takes to get it, whether it's gossiping, manipulating, fighting, they will do what it takes to get their way. And the interesting thing about marriage is that marriage is filled more than any other relationship with opportunities to choose between selfishness and selflessness. Ephesians 4.2 reminds us to be completely humble and gentle, be patient each and every moment, put one another first. There's a book, it's called Love and Respect by Dr. Emerson Edricks. And to summarize it, there's a love and respect cycle that he talks about. And in this cycle, we have men that desire to be respected. And out of being respected, they will offer love to their wife. And women desire to be loved. And out of being loved, they will offer respect to their husband. So you got a nice cycle going here. And if the wife isn't feeling loved, she may start to lack respect for her husband. The cycle starts breaking down. And if the husband isn't feeling respected, the cycle falls out of gear. He'll start to lack showing love to his wife. And it's a pretty simple concept, but it takes both the husband and the wife to remember daily to put each other first because marriage is not about ourselves. It's about serving one another. Marriages found in selfishness will only find their love and respect cycles spiraling out of control. And husbands, men, you're called to lead your wives, to protect her, to love her unconditionally. And this isn't in the book, but I always add one item to this love and respect cycle, and that item is an umbrella. Over the entire cycle, you hold the umbrella. When it rains, when the storms come, you protect the cycle. If you begin to feel the cycle breaking down, you are first to step up and put it back in place by continuing to love your wife unconditionally. And the only way I know how to do this is with Jesus. Which brings us to area number three. You need Jesus. If we think back about all of the sermons in this Tools for Wisdom series, it all comes back to a basic premise that's found in Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If we're not submitted to Jesus, if we're not living for him, if we're not fully surrendered to Christ, I just don't see how we can be or even claim to be a good spouse because we don't truly know love. 
To be a good spouse, we must be willing to let God have his way in our lives. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. We cannot be a good spouse. We cannot be the spouse God wants us to be unless we let God make us the spouse he wants us to be. The same way in general, we can't be the person God wants us to be unless we let God make us the person he wants us to be. Out of our own heart, out of our own understanding, out of our own plans, when it has to do with us and ours, it's far easier to be selfish, to be unfaithful, and to focus on the things of the world that really just don't matter. But when we give that up and ask God to have his way in us, it changes everything about us, especially who we are as a spouse. I want to take a moment to reflect on some questions here. As the band's coming forward this morning, if you're not married, what do you need to do to make room for God's way in your life and maybe as it relates to a future marriage? And if you're married, what do you need to do to make room for God's way in your marriage? If you're not married, what do you need to do to make room for God's way in your life and maybe as it relates to a future marriage? And if you're married, what do you need to do to make room for God's way? in your marriage. In a moment, we're going to share in communion together. But before we do, I want to encourage everyone in the room to take a moment, let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes. There are people here today with marriages all across the spectrum, from great to good to bad. And regardless of where your marriage is in that spectrum, God wants to see your marriage renewed, reinvigorated, and reinvested in Jesus as your foundation. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, now is the time to renew that vow you made to your spouse and to God. And if you want to be married someday, I encourage you to to go through this too. I'm not asking anyone in the room to say this out loud, but in the quiet of your heart, the quiet of your mind, repeat after me. Dear Jesus, today I am reminded of the vow I made before you and my spouse. And yet again, today I know I have not been a perfect partner. In your presence, Lord, I offer you my solemn vow to be a faithful and selfless partner in sickness, in health, in good times and in bad, and in joy as well as in sorrow. Jesus, I, love, I promise to love my spouse unconditionally, to support them in their goals, to honor and respect them, to laugh and cry with them and to cherish them for as long as we both shall live. Please remind me of this vow each and every day. Amen. I want to invite you to grab your communion elements. If you didn't get them, there are some outside the door. As a reminder, communion is... For any person who has believed in or trusted the Lord with his or her salvation, 
again, let's take a moment here to examine ourselves before the Lord. Is there anything you need to confess? Anything you need to give up? Anything you're still holding on to that belongs to Jesus? If you take your bread, you see in 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take, eat, in remembrance of him. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take, drink, in remembrance of me. In a moment, we're going to transition to another song. And before we do, I want to invite our ushers to come forward for offering. As they pass the red buckets through, you can drop any offering in there along with connect cards if you filled those out. And I also acknowledge that there are various other ways to give on the screens behind me. Today is also unique in that it's a benevolent Sunday. And on your way out, if you feel led to give to that fund, I welcome you too. It's a fund that we use to take care of the people in our church community who are in need. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning fully knowing that on our own we can only ever be as good or as bad as our flesh allows. We come knowing that it takes the work of your Holy Spirit to convict us of our sins against you, against others. And it takes the work of your Holy Spirit to regenerate our hearts, to reinvigorate our faith, to renew our minds, Give us eyes to see those around us the way you do. Whether that's our spouse, our friends, our family. And Lord Jesus, I pray that right now in this moment, you would come and have your way with us.